Thanks, Christian and Karen. Morning, everybody. If I haven't greeted you, I hope you are well. Henry, hope you are well. Good man, good man. Um, just thank you again for having us today. Thank you for everything the folks do at Merrowdown. I see Steve left a nice message for all the ladies in there. So thank you to everyone who puts this together on a monthly basis. I'm going to recap for you quickly. Um, last month, Alan spoke in the Deity of Christ. I don't know how many of you are here, but I hope you can remember that. Um, he covered uh, John 5, where John talks about Jesus healing a man at Bethesda. John also talks about Jesus only doing things in his Father's will, and that he can do nothing without his Father, obviously. Uh, that was Jesus' mission, it was the will of his Father. And that if you were to believe in Moses, he was saying to the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Jews around him that if he was to believe in Moses, you ought to believe in him. Because Moses writes about him everywhere in the Old Testament and the prophets to come. I know um, Christians have spoken here recently. I have as well on the fear of the Lord. Um, brings knowledge and wisdom. And that you ought to work out your salvation, as Philippians says, with fear and trembling. I don't know if you can remember that one. So we've covered quite a few things, but the message is central. The message is Jesus. And the message is what can Jesus, or what has Jesus rather, what has He done for us? And I think that's really, really important. So there were two babies, obviously twins, in the mother's womb. And the one said to the other one, Do you believe in life after delivery? The other replies, Why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, says the other. There is no life after delivery. What would that life be? I don't know, but it will be lighter out there than in here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat with our mouths. The other says that is absurd. Walking is impossible. And eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition. Life after delivery is to be excluded. The umbilical cord is too short. I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is in here. The other replies, no one has ever come back from there. <laughs> delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, it is nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us absolutely nowhere. Well, I don't know, says the other, but certainly, we will see mother, and she will take care of us. Mother? You believe in mother? Then where is she now? She is all around us. It is in her that we live. Without her, with, sorry, without her, there would be nothing in this world as we know it. I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, Sometimes when you're silent, you can hear, and you can sense her. I believe there is a reality after delivery. And we are here to prepare ourselves for that reality. So I just thought a really heartwarming story for, for us to start with. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, he says, The eye has not seen, and the ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, what things God has prepared for those who love Him. So as you can see in your notices, we're going to be covering a scripture today, um, out of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 verses 1 to 15. I'm going to read the scripture and then we'll go into a time of prayer. Um, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Peter. 
Otherwise, you can just check on the notices and follow me. Um, let me just remember where Peter is. I've been spending like two weeks in this and I can't find it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. To Peter. From verse 1 to 15. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, Peter says, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, in other words, this body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Praise the Lord for His Word. Let's go into a time of prayer. Father, thank You so much for this Word. Thank You that You are the author and sustainer of life, Lord. As we go into this passage, please open our hearts and minds. Please help us understand. And please come help us come to the reality that is Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your blessings, Father. I thank You for the ladies here at Mirrodown and obviously the gents. But we just pray for them. We pray that you are with them and keep them. And just be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Alright, folks. So today you might be you might feel a little bit bombarded. But uh, don't worry. It's not going to be that bad. As you can see, that's quite a large portion of Scripture that we have to cover. But I'm going to give you a slight background quickly to why I believe that Peter is a credible author. For the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, as you know, Peter opens the, the passage of Scripture by saying, An apostle, or Simon Peter first of all, an apostle and bondservant of Jesus Christ. So this obviously he's telling us he was a disciple and apostle. Peter was also a fisherman. He had a very good business. His brother Andrew was a disciple. As we know, Jesus called Andrew first before he called Peter. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Peter was married. Jesus healed his wife of a fever. Um, Peter was part of the intimate three of Jesus. So it was James, Peter, and John. 
when the when Jesus was transfigured on the mount, Peter was there, and he was so excited that he wanted to stay there forever, and he wanted to build tabernacles or booths for um, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. He wanted to stay there. He didn't want Jesus to go or to leave that area. Um, he also didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Um, I don't think it was uh, on purpose. He just enjoyed the company of Jesus so much and he was learning so much from him that he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Having said that though, the confession by Peter that Jesus was Lord led to the promise of the beginning of the church. We know him as Peter. His Jewish name was Simon or Simeon. In Aramaic he was known as Cephas or Cephas. I'm not Aramaic so I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce it but <laughs> Cephas will do. And in Greek, he was known as Petros. I don't think many of us can go by five names. So that, that is Peter. Um, Peter was also a bold and fiery man, as you know. He had zeal, he had purpose, and often he sat with his shoe in his mouth because he shouldn't have said something. Um, he cut Malchus's ear off in the garden at Gethsemane. I don't know if you remember that. When Judas betrayed Jesus. And I think the most amazing thing I find about him is that after... The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' ascension. Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 souls were saved. So praise the Lord for, for Peter and what he's done through him. So as we go into the second epistle, you notice that Peter starts by saying, to those who have obtained a like precious faith. If we look at that in verse 1, I can see that he's already writing to a believer here. He's writing to someone that has already obtained this faith. And I'd just like to backtrack a little bit. How do we obtain that faith? It's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to a place of repentance. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We do know that. Once a believer then repents of his old sinful ways and exercises faith in Jesus, and he acknowledges his atoning work on the cross, the Holy Spirit is then imparted to him, and a new process is started in that believer called process of regeneration. Many of us know that it uh, sounds really intense and theological, but it's not really. All it means is that the Holy Spirit makes us a new creation. He transforms us and brings us into new life. If you look at Ephesians 2 verses 1, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins and He makes us alive. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit that is Jesus. He makes us alive. So this process, as mentioned, can only happen that when we acknowledge, obviously as people, that we are sinners and we would like to come humbly to the Father, asking Him for forgiveness. And also I think if, you, if you're going to go that far, you might as well acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and He died on the cross for our sins, which He did. This acknowledges that saving work at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, um, when He's talking to Thomas, in John 14, Thomas asks Him a whole bunch of questions. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Secondly, Peter also wants the believer to know later in the passages that we will cover that there's certain characteristics and diligence that is needed to live and strive toward a Christian faith or toward a successful Christian faith. This diligence leads to righteousness, in other words, a right standing with God and eternal life in the kingdom. What's also nice about the book of 2 Peter is that Peter says that very importantly, the interpretation of Scripture is only allowed through the Holy Spirit. 
So we can try, we can do our best to interpret Scripture in our own ways. Unfortunately, that won't work. The Holy Spirit is the only one. Why? Well, simply because He's the author. He wrote the Bible. Even though He wrote it through men, these men, they use their personalities, but the Holy Spirit wrote it down. So Peter also warns the reader about deception, false teachers, destructive doctrines, which in today's day and age is rife. Um, we have to know which Jesus we're listening to, which Jesus was preached, and what Jesus the Bible is teaching. He also points to God's fulfillment of promises in Scripture, which is Jesus' second coming, and the necessity for followers of Jesus to be steadfast, committed, and dedicated in growth. Lastly, this book was written in about 66 or 67 AD, so that gives us an idea. Just before Peter's death, as he says, he, had to, he, he wrote this epistle. So my, the favor that I'd like to ask you today as I go into the main message is take note of how Peter wants us as believers to realize what to do, how the Holy Spirit imparts that to us, and what we are to do. I think it's very dangerous for us to say, well, um, I am a believer and I'm just going to leave it there. We have to work towards a relationship with the Lord. The Lord is, is amazing and He's a relational God. He's not a God that we have to be afraid of. Um, if you don't believe in Him, I would say you should be afraid. But if not, you know, remember that God is gracious, He's loving, and He sent Jesus for you and I. Um, bear in mind, as I said earlier, that these epistles are written through the Holy Spirit, and so is every other book of the Bible. So today's message, as you can see in your notices, is entitled, or titled, The Diligent Faith Eliminates Barrenness. A Diligent Faith Eliminates Barrenness. I've covered verse 1 for you for you folks, and I've given you an introduction, so let's go to verse 2. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, through lust. Verses 2 to 4 will paint a nice picture for us for our main uh, sermon, uh, 5 to 11, and then verses 12 to 15 will then show us why Peter said these things. So grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What is amazing is that it simply means that the more you get to know God, right, the more grace and peace you will experience in your Christian walk. The knowledge spoken of in this context is a knowledge that is striving towards completeness. So it is a knowledge that is um, precise, and it is a knowledge that is correct. The Greek word there, and I see Poppy's not here again, but the Greek word there is epignosis, which means we have to strive towards a complete knowledge, a precise and correct knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is. Who is that, and how do we do that? Well, we spend time in the Word of God. That we only know we, the only way we are going to know God is to spend time in the Word of God. Verse 3 carries on by saying, as His divine power. Now that power is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is that power. God obviously authorizes that. And that same power is that Jesus was given authority over heaven and over earth when He gave the disciples the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Verses 18. So you can see that the power there is nothing to be to be ashamed of. It's a beautiful power. It's a power of the Holy Spirit that gives us life. Because the scriptures carry on by saying, 
that life and that power is given to us all things that pertain to godliness. So in our godly um, walk, I would say, in our daily lives, the Holy Spirit gives us that strength and gives us that ability to walk in life. The scripture carries on saying that through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue. Now as I note that word calling, I really spent a lot of time in that word calling because there it says that through the knowledge of Him who called us. Now Him is obviously God, and that calling can be a number of things, but the Greek word for that calling is kaleo. And kaleo is either translated as a call, as an invite, or as a direct calling by name. Now if I look at through the knowledge of Him who called us, that makes me think that we have a calling, and by name. God knows us by our names. He knows us intimately. He knows us before we are formed, before the foundations of the earth. And so that calling brings us into four things, which there are many, many other things, but I've highlighted these four. They've brought us from darkness into light. As I said in Ephesians 2.1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The second thing is that to follow Christ, obviously we're going to encounter pathways of suffering. But we will rejoice in those sufferings. John 16.33 Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's a nice promise I find from Jesus that even though we go through paths of suffering, we will encounter Jesus' Holy Spirit and He, rejo- and he rejoices and helps us rejoice in suffering. Um, number three, we have a calling to return blessing instead of insults. So I think uh, many people, I'll have to say that about ten times until it really settles in. But it's difficult to for us to return blessings um, instead of insults. Um, in our daily walk, through a taxi driver, through someone who steps on your toe, I don't know, you can think of all these things. It really is difficult, but I, I do know that the Lord is faithful and He, he will work in us if we are willing to return blessing instead of insults. And more greatly than ever is the calling into eternal glory. I think that is, that is the most amazing thing once we know that we have that calling and there is something after we're experiencing now. The end of verse 3, Peter writes, um, by his own glory and virtue, and that glory is the absolute, perfect, inward and personal excellency of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds like a tongue twister. I'll say it one more time. It's the absolute, perfect, inward and personal excellency of Jesus Christ. In other words, His majesty. That virtue is moral excellency and purity. So as you can see, it says there, uh, through the knowledge of Him who called us, by His own glory and virtue. And I think it's such a privilege and an honor to be called children's, children's sons and daughters of the Most High God. So verse 4 says, By which you have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And these promises are the promises of redemption, the promises of reconciliation, and the promises of adoption. So Jesus is everything there. Jesus redeemed us, He reconciled us, and we're adopted because of Jesus' blood on the cross. Then the scripture says that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers through the message of the gospel and by regeneration of our spirit. That divine nature Let's us be partakers of the gospel. And then we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we've all come from, I don't know where everyone has come from, but we've come from a place, and I can vouch for that, of, you could say, a corrupted world, a world that was in, in, including 
lust, maybe monetary, uh, whatever the case may have been. And I think, and I praise the Lord that He regenerates us so that doesn't become an issue for us. So to summarize verses 2, 3, and 4 for you folks, so we're on track. Peter wants us to have a knowledge which is given by God for our everyday lives, bringing glory to God by proving Almighty's goodness. The calling is from darkness into light, as I've mentioned, Ephesians 2 verse 1, leading to eternal glory. The many promises made by God are to those who accept the gospel message as truth and are then regenerated because of His divine plan of redemption, reconciliation and adoption. So I've got a a three-point major outline for today, and that brings us to point one. And point one is to have a precise and correct knowledge of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you if you Greek or you want to explore Greek, you can write down this word, epignosis is that word. So let's strive to have that precise and correct knowledge of God. As we go into verses 5 to 11, we'll be looking at our fruitful growth and how we can become more fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord God and Jesus. Verse 5 carries on by saying, but also for this very reason... Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. That diligence that Peter is talking about in verse 5 is a conscientious and thorough diligence. We have to make a conscientious effort and a thorough effort to add to our faith. As Peter says there, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Remember, it's those people who were established in the faith in the beginning of verse 1. Diligence is a constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. In other words, in this instance, the pursuit of God. The first word he gives us is virtue. What is virtue? Another word for virtue is goodness. And how are we to be good, or as good as we possibly can be, is to be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave us. That's Ephesians 4.32. Galatians 6.10 tells us, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then Romans 12.21, it goes even further. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the virtue, that's the goodness. Then it goes to knowledge. He says to add to that virtue, it's knowledge. This knowledge in this context is a spiritual discernment knowledge, and it's also knowledge of the wills, the ways, and the works of God. We have to know God in order to know what He wants from us. And Proverbs 1 verse 7 says it beautifully, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Self-control is the next, and many of you that know the Scriptures know that self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22-23, we have a list of nine fruits of the Spirit. I do believe... As you can see in this passage and other passages, there are more. But they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So their self-control comes into it again. Now let's take the opposite of that. Let's go to a world where we have acts of the flesh. As Paul writes in Galatians, just before the fruits of the Spirit, he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, and the list actually goes on. There's about six more. Now you can see that without self-control, all those fruits come into so all those 
unfruits, if I can call it that way, all those fleshly desires and behaviors are there because we don't exercise self-control. So we have to be mindful to exercise self-control. Then we go to perseverance. Many of us know what perseverance is. Many of us experience perseverance on a daily basis. And I think in our Christian walks we do, because as Jesus said, we will face trials and tribulations and we need to persevere. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race, all of them run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, hold fast to your faith in Jesus Christ. Persevere. Persevere in your virtue, which is goodness, knowledge, self-control. Then the next characteristic is godliness. Now when Paul was writing to Timothy, it's the scripture that I believe brought me to the Lord and how I understood who the Lord was, was he simply said, But you, man of God, flee all these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And look, we, we all come short, and I can say at first, I come short in many of those things, but it's striving towards what the Lord wants from us. Godliness then leads to brotherly kindness. I think this is also a tough one for many of us. John thirteen thirty four, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. He doesn't say, I suggest that you might love one another or try and love one another. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that passage culminates in love. And why? Because as uh, Paul sorry, writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives us the definition of love. And I'm just going to go through it because I, I find it absolutely beautiful. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. Their perseverance comes into again. And closing off that section, love never fails. And that is so true. We go into verse 8. Verse 8 says, For if these things are yours and abound, so what is Peter saying here? He's saying, if those seven characteristics that I've just mentioned are yours and abound, they become more, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to us there that it, it's a fact. He's saying, if these are yours and abound, you will never be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. Why? Because you are diligent in pursuing your faith and persevering as a Christian. Verse 9, he says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Peter's, you know, Peter with the boot in the mouth, this is one of those moments, I think. For he who lacks these things is saying categorically, you're short-sighted, which is narrow-minded, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Short-sightedness and narrow-mindedness I can deal with, I can handle that. But to handle blindness, I'm going to give you two examples. You know there are many more in the scriptures. Uh, we remember a good guy by the name of Pharaoh, when he was in, in Egypt. Obviously he was the owner, or not the owner, the the, huh? the ruler the ruler of Egypt and the, the Israelites were there and Moses came time and time again and played with him to let them go and he didn't want to God had to send plague after plague after plague even the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed yet still he sat there and said you cannot go and finally he came to the realization that he is so blinded he is so hardened that he has to let them go because he cannot take this anymore so please do never get to a place of blindness where we just have forgotten that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us was 
a huge part of our daily walk. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So now he's pleading with us again with diligence. Please, brethren, ladies and gentlemen, be more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Remember the word kaleo? Kaleo means you've been called by name. If you've been called by name, we should definitely make our election sure. For if you do these things, Peter promises here, and the Holy Spirit promises us, you will never stumble. That's how easy it is. You will never stumble. He promises us that. And then he says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Praise the Lord for that. Diligence leads to us never stumbling. It leads us to making our calling and election sure and an everlasting entrance into the kingdom. So point two out of our three-point outline is diligence. I think you've heard the word about a hundred times today. You might hear it about another twenty times. But be diligent. Be diligent in your walk. Be diligent in your pursuit. Make it conscientious. Make it thorough. Make it, make it that. And then you will see that your pursuit of God, pursuit of God, sorry, will ensure your calling and election. Peter goes into this last section and he's talking about his death. Peter says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. What is he reminding us of? Of the diligence, of the walk that we are supposed to have. In Christ Jesus. He says that you are, and he says to the people here, though you know and are established in the present truth. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that we all here know and are established in the present truth. And if we're not, then what are we going to do to get to that point where we would be established, to get to learn more, to get to know more about our Lord? He says in verse 13, Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent, in other words, in his body. This current body, and just as I'm sitting here, should be standing, but it's okay. As I'm sitting here in this tent, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you of these things that the Lord wants us to remind each other about. Knowing shortly that I must put off my tent. So Peter knew he was going to die. And the reason why he knew that is because in John 21 verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, in other words, like crucifixion, and you will gird you, sorry, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. So Jesus said that to Peter. Church history has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord was. Verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So that is so beautiful because here I am sitting 2,000 years later reading to you the exact same thing that Peter wants us to know. Praise the Lord for that because it's only the Holy Spirit that can make that happen. Mm. Point three in our three-point outline, and we're almost finished. As Peter says, do not be negligent in your faith. I think it's very important. So we have that epignosis, the first one. We have... Um, Diligence and now don't be negligent. And to end, I'm going to ask you a few questions. These are rhetorical questions, but it's just to make you think. Because I think it's important that we are made to think and not just accept things because we do not know. And we just go on what many people call blind faith. I do not believe Christianity is blind faith. I believe we do have a reason for the hope that resides in us. And there's evidence for this reason. So in adding to your faith, first point, and I'll say it's a sub point. In adding to your faith... Have you rid yourself of everything and anything 
that might take you away from the Lord. Remember those fruits, I keep on saying fruits, those acts of the flesh that are obvious. Paul mentions them. I'll go backwards because you haven't heard the other ones. He's talking about um, drunkenness, envy, factions, dissensions, selfish ambition, fits of rage, and so the list goes back to the beginning. Have we rid ourselves of these things so that we can open the heart, open our heart and open the door to our heart so that we can experience and come to a relationship and a point with Jesus Christ? Have we taken those things away out of our life? Secondly, are you one of those that Peter is talking about at the beginning of the passage that have obtained like precious faith? And we, we want to say, yes, we are, and I'm happy we do want to say that. But do we have the diligence? Do we have the pursuit? Do we have that, that hunger and that, that zeal that Peter had to know who Jesus Christ was more and more each day? And lastly, do these things and you will never stumble. That's a promise. That's a promise from God that if you do these things, if you're diligent in your pursuit, you will never stumble. So having that precise and correct knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord is the first one. Being diligent in your pursuit of God, adding to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love is another one. And lastly, my plea to you is do not be negligent in your faith. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord, that Peter wrote down 2,000 years ago and that you've given to us today to teach and to tell people what the truth is about our Lord. We thank you for those characteristics, Lord, and we pray that we have those fruits, that we have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, that we have knowledge, that we have virtue, that we have all those things, Lord, love, brotherly kindness, that you so want us to have to be an example to those around us. Lord, I just lift up Kelly and Nikki to you again. In this time of their loss, Lord, I just pray for the family. I pray for strength for them. But I thank you that they can find refuge in you, Lord. You are our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Lord, praise your name from the mountaintops, from the rooftops in the valleys. Lord, I thank you so much for Merodown. I thank you for every person here. And I pray that they come to realize, Lord, that in order to come to, to you, we need to rid ourselves of our old ways and come humbly to the throne and come humbly to the cross that Jesus died at. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And we pray for this day ahead, this day is yours. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen.